Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. All right, um, so really quickly, uh, right off the bat, just clear up a few things that maybe are a little bit confusing. So I'm Ben, right? That's already a little confusing. Not that Ben, um, but the aforementioned Ben Waycaster. Not a different Ben, and the reason that might be confusing is because that Ben said I was a little, little less attractive than he was. I don't know what he's talking about. That's crazy. So I want to clear up some confusion. I'm, I'm Ben Waycaster. I'll be the apprentice here um, in the fall. I'm super excited. Um, ben and I do look very similar. Um, we do have a lot of things... I'm being told that I'm going to be... No, it's orange. Oh, hey, now it's green. Wow. Now I can really hear myself. Um, so, uh, Ben and I are similar in a lot of ways, so it gets even more confusing. We're even dressed pretty similar tonight, totally on accident. Uh, we both like John Mulaney, but I promise I won't compare myself to him up here tonight. Um, and uh, hopefully, I don't know, uh, we'll seem a little bit um, less chaotic maybe. But uh, anyways, I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm excited uh, to be here in the fall, really. Um, and... Um, just really looking forward to tonight and the game night on Friday. Uh, so we'll go ahead and jump right in. Um, but before we do, let me just start with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into um, our lesson for tonight. Uh, Father, we come before you this evening, and um, I'm just so thankful to be here um, at the RFC, God, with your people. Um, it is so encouraging to um, sing together, to praise your name together. Um, Father, to be encouraged and challenged and lifted up uh, by your word together as a community. Father, we know that you have promised that when we gather in your name, um, that you are with us in our midst. And so, Father, tonight we just pray that you and your spirit are at work in this room, slowly but surely transforming our hearts and our minds and our lives. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, um, so let's go ahead and uh, jump in and get started. Um, tonight... I will be um, continuing uh, the series um, that Ben uh, has been doing here at um, the RFC for the Ten Commandments, um, and I um, was assigned the Tenth Commandment, Do Not Covet. Um, and so uh, I, when I first got um, the assignment to do the Tenth Commandment, Do Not Covet, I have to be a little bit honest at first. I didn't know what to think. Covet's kind of a weird word, not one that we use that often. I probably would have picked a different commandment, uh, to be honest, if I was just you know, picking any of the, the ten. Um, but the more I, I kind of studied and got ready for tonight, the more and more I got excited. Um, and I think that what we are going to talk about tonight is going to be um, really good. I've, I've been listening along through the podcast uh, to the Ten Commandments uh, series, kind of catching up and listening to some of those. And um, while I promise that I won't compliment Ben that much, and hopefully this is the last time that I'll do it in public in my tenure as an apprentice, I do have to say he's done a really good job with the lesson series. And it's just it's, it's been really good. Again, I, it, it makes me cringe a little bit to, to give him credit. But he's done, he's done really well. And what I've liked in particular is the format that he's done. So for each of the Ten Commandments, if you've been here in the series, um, then what Ben has done for each of those commandments is he's talked about the, the negative commandment. You shall not, do not, and then he's given you the positive commandment that kind of goes along with it, the inverse of that commandment. Right? So for do not steal, there's a positive commandment of? Yeah, yeah be generous. Yeah, this was last, so do not steal, be generous. Right? So the negative command, do not steal, the positive command, be generous. And then what does that tell us about God? And that's what Ben has done for each of the Ten Commandments. You shall not, do not, talking about that commandment. And then, what's the positive inverse of that commandment? What is, what is it we should do? If we shouldn't do this thing, what is it that we are supposed to do? 
And then, what does that tell us about God? And the reason I think that's so good is because, again, the Ten Commandments, as Ben has already emphasized in this lesson, aren't just like a, a list of ten things that are challenging for us to do because God wanted to see you know, how good the Israelites were at loving him or, or you know, if they could do these random ten things. But these were ten commandments that God gave his people to show them what it would look like, what it would take to live in relationship with him. And so each of these commandments are still very applicable to us today. It's not just a negative list of things we shouldn't do, but they have a positive implication of things that we should be doing. And ultimately, they tell us a lot about who God is. Um, so tonight, again, we, we continue with that um, path, but I'm going to do it just a little bit different from at least the ones that I've listened to. What Ben has done is he's, he's done the negative commandment and immediately kind of giving you this is the, the positive implication of what we're supposed to do and kind of unpack that. And then at the end, what does that tell us about God? And tonight, we're going to do it just a little bit different. We're going to spend the first... A um, few minutes just kind of really diving into that negative commandment, and then later on, um, I'll tell you what the positive commandment is that's kind of associated with it. And the reason I want to wait is because I think if I, just, if I told you what I think that positive command is right now, it wouldn't have the same impact as it will if we first kind of understand um, that negative commandment. So we'll come back to that, and then finally we'll wrap up with what does that tell us about God. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to not covet or do not covet, and then eventually what's the positive implication, what should we do? If we're not supposed to covet, and then finally, what does that tell us about God? Um, and uh, so, sorry, let me grab the clicker here. Um, so first, we start off um, with "Do not covet." This is the command: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so already, I, I want to start just by defining the word covet. Again, it's not a word that we use very often, maybe not a word that we're super familiar with. And so when you hear the word covet, what is it that you think of? How would you define that word? What kind of comes to mind when you hear the word covet? Envy. Envy? Okay, good. I think that's a good one. Envy. What else? Comparison. Comparison. Good. I think these are all good. Anything else you, you think of when you think of covetousness or coveting? Desire. Desire. Good. We're going to be using that word a lot tonight. Anything else? That's okay. So uh, for me, this is one of those words that, again, when you hear it, you kind of, I, it's like, I kind of know what that means, but if somebody asked me to define it, I'd be like, I've got no clue. You know, I can use it, I think, correctly, but I don't really know what it means. So the first thing I did when I found out I was teaching on this was I just Googled the word covet. Um, and so I spent some time digging into that, reading through passages, and the way that we're going to define the word covet tonight I think it ties together a lot of the different answers we just had, is coveting or to be covetous or to covet something is to have an inappropriate desire. So coveting is all about having an inappropriate desire. I think there's two different ways that can happen. So there are some desires that are just bad. There's nothing good about them, right? So the desire to gossip, there's no way to redeem that. That's just a bad desire to have. Uh, the desire to steal, that's just, you know, there's nothing good that, that comes from that. That's just a bad desire to have. Um, desire to cheat or to lie, um, you know, if your roommate steals something from the fridge and your desire is to, like, kill them or beat them up, you know, bad desires. So there's some desires that are just not good, right? Just bad all around. There's no way to redeem them. And then there are some desires that are not necessarily bad, but our intensity for them can become a problem. A good example is food. It's not bad to have a desire for food, right? That's actually good. If none of us had a desire for food, we would all die. You would, would just starve to death. But we can grow to an intense level of that desire where it becomes something that's unhealthy. A desire for success is not necessarily a bad thing, but your intensity for that desire can become so bad that it becomes something that's unhealthy. 
Your desire to be recognized and, and accepted by others is not necessarily a bad desire, but it can become something that becomes intense or unhealthy. And so tonight we're going to be talking about coveting as do not have inappropriate desires. And, and this is something that we, uh, as humans, have a hard time with. Right? This is something that we, we really, really wrestle with. We've wrestled with it from the beginning. Right? That passage that was just read a few minutes ago from Genesis is Eve going through an experience of having an inappropriate desire. She sees the fruit, and it looks really good. It looks desirable to her, and she reaches out and takes it without thinking of the consequences of acting on that desire. If it's an inappropriate desire, what it's going to cost for her to reach out and take that fruit. So, so in the beginning, we as humans have wrestled and had a difficult time with covetousness or coveting, having inappropriate desires. And so it's not, I think the command that we have is really tricky because what God is asking us to do is to rein in those desires. I mean, if you look back at that verse um, that you see here, uh, I think that's why we see it have a um, very communal sort of flair to it. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I think the reason it constantly references the Israelites' neighbors over and over again is because oftentimes we see things that people have. We see things that seem to bring them comfort, see things that seem to bring them peace, see things that seem to bring them success, and we desire those things. We see things that look good to us, and just like Eve, we reach out and take those things without asking ourselves, what is it going to cost me to pursue this desire? Is this an inappropriate desire, either in its nature or its, in its intensity? And so tonight, we're going to have the difficult task or topic of figuring out how is it that we as people handle these desires. Um, and so I think oftentimes what we see, um, there's two different strategies when it comes to how we handle our desires, how we act on our desires. Um, and, and the first one uh, I'm just going to label uh, as, as modern hedonism. Um, and that's, that's a big word, but hedonism, all it means is just the pursuit of whatever makes you happy. Right? So if you have a desire for something, what modern hedonism says is it's just your responsibility as a person to pursue that desire to make yourself happy. That's what life's all about. We're here to just pursue your desires, have them fulfilled, and enjoy the happiness that comes along with that. And modern hedonism, I think, is you know, we've kind of gotten to the point in our culture, in our society, where we say, and it's also not good to infringe upon other people's rights to pursue what makes them happy. So it's my job to, to do whatever makes me happy, to do things that I desire, no matter what it takes, no matter the cost. I just need to do whatever I desire to make myself happy as long as it's not getting in the way of anybody else. As long as it's not interrupting anybody else's desires. And I think we see this strategy when it comes to our desires a lot. Whatever I desire, no matter the cost, I'm just going to pursue it because eventually it'll make me happy. You know, people want success. They desire success. They see other people who have success and say, they look so happy. They look like they have their lives together. They look like their lives are full of meaning and purpose. I want that kind of meaning and purpose, so I desire that success. I'm just going to pursue it, and it'll make me happy. Again, it's not necessarily a bad desire. I think God wants us to be successful, but they, they make that desire their ultimate drive and go on constantly pursuing it. Or, or, or social status. You know, some people see others who, who are popular, who are well-liked, who have a significant other. They see these, these symbols of being um, accepted or loved, and they say, that's what I want. It seems to make people happy, and I desire that. I'm going to pursue it with everything I have. Modern hedonism, this idea of whatever you desire, you just chase after it with everything you have, and eventually your desires will be fulfilled, and you'll be happy. 
I think there's a, a problem with that strategy, though. Um, we read in Ephesians 5, 5 this. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy, covetous is, is how the word gets translated, person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So here, here Paul is listing out some people uh, who have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, and in that list, he lists covetousness. So that's really interesting. Paul takes this really serious. He's saying if you have an inappropriate desire, you have no part of the inheritance of the kingdom of God and Christ. And, and that's, you know, that's interesting enough. But what really strikes me in this verse is the comparison that Paul makes. Paul says that a covetous person, such a person, is an idolater. Basically, what, what Paul is saying is when you have an inappropriate desire, when you have a desire that's too intense, when you have a desire that goes above and beyond, it's basically like worshiping a false god. It's almost the exact same thing. Having an inappropriate desire, an inappropriate intensity of a desire for a thing is like worshiping that thing. It's like worshiping an idol. And guys, to worship an idol, to worship a false god, has always cost a lot. I mean, in, in the ancient times, it was sacrifices, and sometimes it was livestock, but sometimes it was humans. It was, it was members of your family. It was children. To worship an idol has always cost a lot to sacrifice, and modern idols are no different. And so I think what Paul is saying is if we allow covetousness to take hold in our hearts, if we desire something inappropriately intensely, and we begin to pursue that with everything we have, hoping that it'll make us happy, it's going to cost us a lot. If your desire is to be successful, to get really great grades, to have a really great job, make a bunch of money, to get really high in your position at work, whatever it is, if your desire is for success, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when that desire becomes so intense that it surpasses everything else, you find yourself worshiping at the altar of success. And one day you look up and realize how much you have sacrificed on that altar. You've pushed friends and loved ones away. You have all these possessions, but no happiness. You look up after years of pursuing success over and over and over again, and you see just how much you had to sacrifice on the altar of success to get there. And what's worse is you look up and you realize that you're not really satisfied. That's the other thing about idols, is they make all these promises that they can't fulfill. If you pursue success, then you'll be happy. And years down the road, you look back and you realize all the things you've had to sacrifice and that success couldn't deliver on the promises that it offered you. Social status. You know, if you think that what's most important is to be accepted by others, to be loved by others, to have a significant other, to be seen as popular or cool or whatever it is, eventually you look up and you look back and you see all the things you had to sacrifice at the altar of social status. And guys, I, I have a really hard time with this one. I, I like to be liked by other people. I like to be seen as someone who's nice and friendly, and, and I like to have a good sense of community. And so oftentimes, I will you know, be dishonest about who I am. People will say things that I disagree with, and I won't speak up. Someone will be doing something that I disagree with, and I won't speak up. And oftentimes, I look up and see myself surrounded by people, but I also realize that I've compromised myself to get there. If people ask me you know, to do them a favor, oftentimes I won't even consider whether or not I have time to do it. I won't consider whether or not it's a, it's a crossing of any sort of boundary. And I look up and I find myself totally burnt out and maybe people see me as someone who's willing to help, but I've sacrificed so much to get there. 
A lot of times we, we want to pursue a significant other and be in a relationship because, not just because we, you know, we like a person, but sometimes it comes from a less healthy place that we, we feel like we should have a significant other. It's a symbol of, of social status, and it's really easy to find yourself in a damaging and dangerous relationship as a result of that. It's easy to pursue social status and look up years down the road and realize that you sacrificed so much at that altar and that you're not even satisfied. Those desires that you had for it aren't even satisfied because that idol couldn't deliver on the promises that it offered. So I think that's the first strategy that we usually see is, is modern hedonism. Just pursue whatever you think is going to make yourself happy. And if you do it long enough and if you pursue it with great intensity, eventually you'll be satisfied. The second answer I think that we see is, is a little bit more of a, um, um, I think more times we see this in the church with, with Christians. I think a lot of times I fall into this as my answer. Uh, and that is that it's just my job to kind of suffocate uh, my desires. Right? And here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of times, if I'm really, really honest with myself, I have a lot of the same desires as other people. You know, what, I, what I do desire is to be able to give everything to being successful. You know, I want to be really intelligent. I want to be really good in my field. I want to get a really good job. I want to make a bunch of money. And, and that's really what I want. I want to give everything that I have to that. Because it seems like it has a lot of security. It seems like it will bring me a lot of happiness. If I'm totally honest with myself, that's really what I want. But I know that I'm not supposed to want that. And so instead I'll do the right thing, and I'll quietly kind of just try to control that desire and suffocate it. Sitting with social status, a lot of times I think we see, you know, what I really would like is to be popular, to be accepted, to be liked, uh, to be seen as, as a cool person. And if I could, you know, if I didn't have to worry about keeping all these rules and commandments and all these kind of things, then, man, that's what I would be doing with all my time. That's really what I want, but I know that I'm not supposed to want that. And so quietly I'm just going to try to suffocate that desire. I think a lot of times that's a strategy that we see employed. I, I, I try that strategy a lot. It's easy to find ourselves in that position. But here's the problem, guys, is that God made us as creatures of desire. He made us with desires. Desires aren't a bad thing, and he, he wants us to have those desires fulfilled. I think that's why all throughout the Bible, Christians are described as joyful people, as people who are supposed to be happy and excited and passionate. God created us as people of desire. I mean, just look around at creation. He didn't just make a world. He made a beautiful world that looks good, that is desirable. He didn't just make food that sustains us. He made food that tastes good, that looks good, and smells good. God made us as creatures to desire. And so the problem with quietly suffocating and killing all of our desires is that it's not a sustainable strategy. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes we find ourselves trying to just control these desires, put them away, suffocate them, kill them. And I've grown up with people who, who have applied that strategy, and eventually your, your, your will just gives out. Because we're not meant to live that way. We're not meant to live starved from any fulfillment of any desire. Eventually your will just gives out, and you slip up, and then like a dam breaking, you just find yourself drowned in all these desires. And I've known people who... who have lost their faith that way because for the first time in their life, they find their desires fulfilled. For the first time in their life, they say, okay, I, I finally feel like I'm having my desires met. And so I can't go back to a life where none of my desires are fulfilled. I just, I can't go back to the li that life. And, and the thing is, I don't think God made us for that kind of life. Or some people are really good at it. Some people are really good. Their, their will is just so strong. They can't stay on that straight and narrow. They can just kill all those desires. They don't, you know, they don't need to feel those desires fulfilled. 
But again, I think that's where you get the image of that Christian who, who goes, goes to church, who does all the right things. They read their Bible. They pray every day. But there's no joy. There's no passion. You know, I'll, I'll be at church every Sunday, but man, if I could, I would be out of my job making a change. I'll be at church every Sunday, but man, if I could, you know, be giving extra time to, to get power in position, that's what I would be doing. I'll be at Connect on Wednesday night, but man, if I could sacrifice my morals and ideals to be more popular, to be more cool, to be more accepted, that's what I would be doing. And so we, we follow what God has to say, but begrudgingly. We don't really want to do it. So I think oftentimes those are the two strategies that we see, right? The first one is just, you know, forget the Tenth Commandment. It's not wrong to have inappropriate desires. Whatever you desire, you just go pursue it. And the second option is, okay, I'm not supposed to have these desires, and so I'm just not going to chase them. I'm just going to live with these desires, but they're never going to be fulfilled. And I don't think either of those strategies are sustainable. And so you may be wondering, okay, so if I'm not just supposed to pursue my desires, if I'm not supposed to just ignore those desires, what is it I'm supposed to do? What, if, if I can't just do what I want, and, I, and I'm not supposed to get rid of that feeling of wanting more, wanting desires fulfilled, what is the answer? And I think that's where the positive commandment for do not covet comes in. And it's this. Desire God above all else. If, if to covet is to have inappropriate desires, then the inverse command is just to have appropriate desires. And what is it to have an appropriate desire other than to desire God above everything else? And the reason I wanted to hold off is because I think this sounds so simple. It sounds so straightforward, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all wrestle with this. This sounds so simple, it sounds so straightforward, but this is tough. This is challenging. It's difficult to desire God above all else. Again, we see things in our culture that look so desirable. They seem to provide so much promise of power, of security, of comfort, of joy. We see these things that look so desirable and we want to pursue them. And it's difficult to desire God above all else. And just for a few minutes, I want to reflect on, on why, why do you guys think that is? Why do you think it's so difficult to desire God above all all else. Why, why is it difficult for us as individuals, and why is it difficult for us in the, in the culture that we live in? What do, you, what do you think? Why is it so difficult to do this? We're selfish. Yeah, we're selfish. It's really easy to look out for our own self-interest, to see something that looks nice to me, and not think about how it affects anybody else. Yeah, that's good. What else? I think so many of our desires are so easily like achievable, especially because we live in a world where like almost anything is accessible. Mm. And so we tell ourselves, like, it's just so easy. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think, um, I'll be honest, I think this takes a tremendous amount of faith, right? It's so easy to, to see other people um, who seemingly are very happy, who can pursue those desires and achieve them quite easily, and this is tough. You can't always see God. You can't always see what it looks like to desire him, how he's fulfilling what it is that you want. It's really difficult. It takes a lot of faith to do this, especially when you see so many things that seem so accessible. It's difficult to, to see God sometimes. What else? Why, why else is this difficult? I'm a creature of habit, and I know I'm also very, like, quick to forget, you know? Yes. So I think that, like, once I get, like, through the routines of life, like, it's really easy for me to, like, hop back into, like, old habits. 
Yeah, 100%. It's, it is very easy to, um, again, I think forget and just look up and, and realize that I was supposed to have this priority and I, I meant to have this priority, but there again, there's just so many things that are so visible and it's difficult to remember to go back to this. We'll take one more. Anybody else? What, what, why is it so difficult? Yeah, it's very uncommon. To be honest, some people are going to look at you like you're strange when you do this, right? They're going to say, why, why wouldn't you pursue the job that makes you the most money? Why are you pursuing you know, a, a liberal arts degree? And your answer might be, well, because I feel like I can serve God better in that position. And that's going to sound crazy to them. Oftentimes, this is very uncommon. It's easy to get caught up in seeing other desires that seem more accessible, seem easy to get a hold of. And, and you're going to feel a little bit left out sometimes when this is your answer. I think all those are really good. Um, I, I think for me, personally, there's one that I, I really wrestle with when it comes to desiring God above all else. And I think this is, again, where our last point comes in is, of what does this tell us about God? Guys, sometimes I forget a truth that is so simple, but so beautiful, and I think really helps with this. And that is, the reason that God wants us to desire Him above all else is because God is desirable. And it's so easy for me to forget that. But, but just for a second, put the story of the Ten Commandments back into its context. Right? The Israelite people have been enslaved in Egypt for generations. They've been pushed to the side. They've been marginalized. They've been told they're practically worthless. And, and, and God remembers them in their suffering, hears them cry out in their suffering, and sends a representative to lead them out of captivity back into their freedom. He comes and frees them from the things that they are in bondage to and makes them free. And he brings them out into the desert and he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai to make a covenantal relationship with them. And guys, that's just a fancy way of saying God wants to marry his people. The story that we, we see is that God goes to his people who are in captivity, who are enslaved to all these different things, and he frees them. And the reason he wants them to be free is so that he can spend the rest of his days with them. How can you not desire a God like that? A God who pursues us and the things that we are enslaved to. Who, who reaches out and wants us to be freed from those things that we are in bondage to, those desires that have a hold of us, those idols that have captured our hearts, and he wants us to be free. And he will pay the price whether it's in plagues or in blood. He wants us to be free. And why does he want us to be free? Because he wants to spend the rest of his days with us. How can you not desire that God? Um, C.S. Lewis, a, a Christian theologian, has this great quote. And it says this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And because I, I think at the very least, that, that fits me to a T. A lot of times I forget the simple but profound truth that God is desirable. I mean, you, you want to talk about what success looks like. Well, being a child of God and joining with him in a pursuit to redeem creation. How can you find better purpose than to walk alongside God as he remakes the cosmos to be beautiful, to be filled with life and joy? 
You want to talk about social status. What is a better social status than to be adopted into the family of a God who made the universe and loves you in an intimate way? To be called a child of God, a son or a daughter. What better social status is there than that? I think all too often we find ourselves in a world that is chaotic and broken, and the best thing we can think to do is to play around in the mud to try to cobble together some sense of joy and peace when if we would just look up. Infinite joy is what is offered. I, I won't lie, I think desires and controlling our desires, reshaping our desires is tough work. I really do. But I think this might be a good place to start just for five minutes, ten minutes each day, if you reflected on what it meant for God to be desirable, not just some theological list of facts, not just some figure in the sky, but if you ask yourself, what does it mean for God to be desirable? Come to the